This episode is brought to you by Tabard Inn, new American cuisine in one of Washington, D.C.'s oldest hotels, located in DuPont Circle. For more information, visit tabardinn.com. Hello, hello, Heritage Radio Network listeners tuning in from 165 countries around the world, about a million listens a month. And today, everyone is tuned in and looking forward to this latest episode of Tech Bytes, where we continue to talk about delivery. Delivery is something that we've been talking about on Tech Bytes since way back in January 2015, when we first launched the show. And we've looked at it from a lot of different points of view, restaurant owners, delivery workers, consumers, business people, investment, venture capital people. And the fascinating thing about delivery is that it has never been more popular, more important, more critical to people's day-to-day menu food gathering for restaurant and food businesses, economic survival, for people to feel safe and secure because they don't want to leave their home and they want to shelter in place and bring the outside world to them. But in spite of massive IPOs on the stock market, in spite of record numbers of orders from consumers, the traditional third-party app delivery platform ecosystem actually is not very successful. It doesn't seem like anyone from order to delivery is really making a profit. The winner seems to be the consumer who gets something delivered to their home, sometimes for a low fee, but Sometimes maybe the quality of how it's delivered or how it arrives leaves a little something to be desired. So delivery is definitely here to stay. It's definitely growing. It's definitely something that consumers want and businesses want to provide. But what's the best way to do that? How do we get closer to a delivery system that actually works for everyone. And when we say works for everyone, we mean not only economically, not only in terms of profitability, but also in terms of the way people, staff, delivery workers are treated while they're bringing your food to you. One of the interesting points and a little bit perhaps ironic or counterintuitive about the current delivery system is that Consumers are voraciously interested in where their food comes from today. We've spent a lot of time and energy talking about who grows our food. How does our food go from farm to market to table? We're very interested in how farmers and growers and makers are treated. Are they given a fair wage? Is the food raised sustainably? Are there chemicals involved? What is the What is the carbon footprint of getting your food to market and ultimately to your table? Consumers have been examining every piece of the puzzle along the way for quite some time, and they're quite voracious about taking a stand economically and voting with their dollars if they find a company that maybe is not being attentive to a positive impact across the board. But the last piece that many consumers have not started to take a hard look at is that last mile. How does that burger, taco, coffee, salad, bag of groceries get from the store or restaurant to your home, that last mile, that delivery person on a bike or in a car? 
We haven't had the same conversations about the last mile of delivery that we've had about the carbon footprint of boats bringing apples from New Zealand, or we haven't had the same conversations about the fair wage and the fair treatment of delivery workers the same way we have had with farm workers or people who work in meat processing plants. So it's interesting that our our interest in the chain, the food chain from source to table, seems to be not quite as interested in the last mile and sort of seems to stop when we get to the restaurant. So here on Tech Bites, we are taking a look at all of the aspects of delivery, and the last mile does seem to be the most difficult one to conquer. In many respects, just because maintaining a fleet of delivery workers is not very economically viable for most businesses. Most businesses can find alternate tech platforms, alternate platforms for delivery. Consumers can use the old-fashioned thing called the telephone and make a phone call and talk to a person and order something up. But how do you get to the delivery? Those are places where we're really starting to see some companies innovate, bringing their delivery workers in-house, creating new systems to make it profitable, and creating a company culture that treats their delivery staff just like everyone else, which means great. Today, we're going to talk with Brian Howenstein, who is the chief operating officer of a company called Cluster Truck, and they are Vertically Integrated Dark Kitchen, which sounds very tacky and sounds very much like a winning pitch deck at a startup stand-up. Vertically integrated means that they have created and have control of the entire system from order to kitchen to production to delivery. And so we're going to walk with, talk with Brian about how this vertic- vertically integrated system works and how it has become a viable, profitable way of, of doing food delivery down to the last mile. So Brian, thank you for joining us today. Yeah, thank you for having me. You started, you, your company um, with your colleagues started back in 2015 and same time as TechBytes. So congratulations, six years in. (laughs) Thank you. You know, back then, the first episode that we did about delivery, I think was September of 2015. And really the delivery, the third party delivery apps were really starting to take hold. We had Seamless, we had Grubhub. It had started to translate from being principally a corporate and enterprise um, product, which is how Seamless started. It was essentially started for businesses to have an easy way to manage their accounting if they were giving employees um, money for meals. So if you had you know, a company with thousands of people and everybody could order lunch or order dinner when they would work late, it all came off the Seamless account and made accounting and accountability very, very easy. Seamless initially was not built for consumer ordering the way we experience it today. But at that time, the delivery services were already starting to take percentages of profits, 5%, 10%, 15% on average, maybe 15 20%. At that point in time in New York City, I think there was upwards of 6,000 restaurants on Seamless. So there were additional fees tacked on to being listed in the first couple pages and you know different marketing things like that. And it was already um, a losing proposition in terms of the finances for restaurants. They would get maybe 80% of 100% of sales. They would lose that direct contact with their customer. So it was already becoming something that was 
not viable, not desirable. Um, and we already started seeing, you know, as we learned in a couple episodes um, recently that we did this summer, restaurants are already starting to close because they just couldn't, they just could not sustain the economics. So 2015, take us back to the origins of Cluster Truck, because certainly today we hear a lot about ghost kitchens. We hear a lot about dark kitchens. I think consumer awareness for those things has come out of this pandemic time. But creating a vertically integrated dark kitchen was not maybe, you know, in the in the in the ether of the restaurant industry back in 2015. Right. So um, to kind of to, to go to the beginning of Cluster Truck, we go back to uh, it really starts with our CEO um, back in uh, back in 2015. So um, our CEO is Chris Baggett. Chris Baggett has a, a long history of soft, software entrepreneurship. Um, he founded a, a couple companies. Um, he, he was a co-founder of Exact Target. Um, Exact Target was email marketing software that was eventually uh, went public and then was acquired by Salesforce. Um, and uh Around the time that Exact Target was going public, um, he founded another company called Compendium. Um, it was quickly acquired by Oracle. Um, then after that, um, Chris got into sustainable farming. So he, uh, he kind of moved moved to the country, bought bought a whole bunch of farmland, and got into sustainable agriculture. So he started raising um, grass fed cattle, um, pasture raised pork, uh, poultry, and 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 really got got into that that lifestyle. It's as part of that, he uh, he kind of discovered with his uh, with his livestock that he was sell out really quickly of of all the steaks, but he had a lot of ground beef left over. And so, um, as part of that, he he started a, a small hamburger stand in the uh, the small town that his his farm was in. Um, and through that is where he got exposed to the the first um, kind of evolution of the third party delivery system. And that's where um, he started to understand. Um, at the at the very basic level, what the flaws were in the in the third party delivery system and the pain points for the restaurant, uh, the customer, the uh, the drivers, the couriers, um, and it, what kind of occurred to him is just this is never going to work. Um, you know, I think the uh, Grubhub going public was the the final uh, um, thing that you know kind of made the realization to him, and and that's kind of where the the first first thoughts of, of Cluster Truck happened. Um, the interesting thing is. You have somebody who's a, a serial entrepreneur and serial founder in the tech world and, you know, sales, sales software. And that is it's very fine detailed in terms of the way you can track and sift through different things that he sort of went out to the country to become a, a farmer. And then, you know, had this little restaurant, the average farmer who does not have a tech background, who many do the same thing. They set up a little farm stand, they set up a little shop, they set up a little, um, you know, eatery where they can sell their products and things that they've raised. I'm sure there were a number of people who had the same pain points, who had the same frustrations. There are still today business owners who have the same frustrations um, and feeling of like, you know, throwing their hands up in the air, like, but what am I going to do? But it's really the tech background that sort of made it actionable for him and gave him a level of understanding that the average food maker does not have. Yeah, yeah, you're exactly right. Um, you know, Chris Chris kind of has a little bit of a, a, a superpower where he kind of he's able to see around corners a little bit and see see markets as they're they're coming a little bit ahead of time. And, um, you know, he saw that with email marketing and uh, we think he he sees that with food delivery, too. And that's that's kind of where, where Cluster Truck came from you know the um the cto of of compendium that was um 
you know, acquired by Oracle was on a, you know, a couple year contract as part of that acquisition and pretty much two years to the day, um, you know, once that was up, then um, uh, they started talking in and that's the, uh, that was the start of cluster truck. So do we say that his um, farm burger stand was the first cluster truck or no? <laughs> Not quite, but was uh, the... it was, it was definitely one of the first things on the menu. Uh, we, we had uh, several of his uh, hamburgers that are very well known in, in the Indianapolis area. <laughs> so what was the evolution then? Was it software first or restaurant first or how did it progress? Um, and it, it, it's interesting to look at the evolution of it because again, it's coming from um, a group of people who are not restaurant people. Yeah. And that's, that's interesting is that it's been, you know, it's a little bit, um, well, it's both a, a weakness and a superpower that none of us came from the restaurant background. We have, um, we can kind of take that first principles naive approach to, to how to solve this without maybe necessarily understanding or, you know, what's, uh, what's been done before. But, um, there was, a you know, there were a couple of things that happened after that from, uh, or a couple of realizations, one with the, with the, with his restaurant, you know, he, he realized that when an order would come in, um, the restaurant really would have no context of where the, where the driver or the courier is that was going to deliver that order. So a lot of times that, that order would come in, the restaurant would make it immediately and it would just sit there It'd sit for, you know, 20, 30 minutes until the, the driver actually got there to pick it up. So, um, by the time it got to the customer, it was, you know, the food quality was already going to be, going to be pretty poor. So one of our, one of our founding thoughts was let's not cook the food until we know where the driver is. Which actually is, which actually replicates, a, a real life restaurant, you know, you would have in many restaurants, someone who would be the expediter in the kitchen in a fancy restaurant. That's the chef. And in some, you know, more uh, service oriented restaurants, that's a person who expedites. You would never make food a half hour before your customer was going to sit down or you yeah, would never exactly. have a customer sit down and say, OK, they're having drinks and cocktails now. They're looking at the menu. They've just ordered let's make all the food right now and let it sit here for 20 minutes and then we'll serve it to them. That, that logic would never, ever, ever happen in a restaurant. And so it's yeah. interesting that the translation of moving the customer outside of the dining room and off premise, that same logic kind of doesn't exist anymore. It's very fascinating when people you know, we use our phones every day. We use our, you know, computer. We use software. We experience social media and all those things. But I've I've often found that when people then come into a work environment, um, we almost forget what we know because it comes into a different channel or it's in a different environment. Sure. Yeah. It, um. You know, we with with a third party delivery, there's so many separate moving parts that we realized in, in order to make this happen, we had to, we had to own the whole process. You know, we had to, um, we had to, we had to, you know, we started out just trying to make this a software problem. So could we, could we manage this just doing the software? And we quickly realized that, um, you know, we were going to start with just managing the drivers. So we were going out to look, you know, are there, um, KDS systems we could integrate with to uh, to manage the back of house. We quickly realized that unfortunately um, none of the KDS systems that were available at the time uh, 
could could make this possible, that we could integrate and have the degree of control we needed to manage the cook time of items in the kitchen down to the minute and manage it separately, not just as a single um, holistic ticket. So um, we manage every, every item's cooking individually. So um, if your courier's 12 minutes away and you have three items on your order, one is a 10 minute cook time, one's an eight, one's a four, um, we're going to wait two minutes until we start the first item, uh, wait a couple minutes until we start the next one, and then wait a, a few more minutes until we start the third one. So so everything should be done at the exact same time, right as the courier pulls up and the courier's on the way uh, to deliver that to you. So um, we manage, we try to have very small delivery areas with each of our kitchens, usually around six minute, a six minute drive time. So um, in pra practice, it, it ends up to about six to 10 minutes. And so our, our goal is that um, food should be never more than six to 10 minutes old once it gets in your hands. Even if the entire process um, might take 30 or 40 minutes, that food should be you know extremely fresh and hot once once it gets to you. So let's go back. There's a lot of information there in a very simple transaction that you described in a way that makes it sound very, um, very easy. <laughs> there's a, there's a lot of work that went to make that, yeah, make it that easy. Yeah. A lot of work on, on so many levels. And we're going to unpack that a little bit. Tell our listeners what a KDS system is. Sure, the kitchen display system. So in the in the back of the house, there's a uh, there's a lot of screens on each cook station in the kitchen that usually tells tells the cook what what to do and and what's cooking. So um, a lot of times those will show the entire ticket to every single station, um, and we we broke it down so that every single cook station is only seeing the things that they need to work on, and it's timed so they only see it when they need to start working on it. So. Um, once it's time for, um, you know, if we have a, a pizza and a burger on the same order, um, we'll at the appropriate time, we'll send the, the pizza to the pizza station when it needs to be start, start being made, um, the burger to the, to the, uh, uh, to the flat top when it needs to be made and, uh, it'll go at the right time. So the, so the cook can, or so we can manage, manage all those timings so that they should be done at the exact same time. So. What you describe is running the kitchen in a way that is very much like running a high-end kitchen in a very classical manner. You have your kitchen, each station, each station is responsible for something specific. Each station knows exactly how long, theoretically, exactly how long it takes to make every single item and dish the expediter knows that as well. The expediter knows where the customer is in terms of their dining experience. The expediter also knows where the, in the restaurant scenario, the waiter who will be the delivery person is and is timing all these things precisely. In order for it to work, every person along the chain needs to have that precise knowledge and the ability to execute precisely. So not only does the station need to understand exactly how long it takes to make that burger, the expediter needs to know that as well. So when you were creating this system, did you understand that this was replicating how a restaurant works or did you just come at it from a data and timing perspective and just wound up with this system as being the most effective, which is actually a well-run restaurant system. Yeah, I think I think it was almost parallel paths. So um, we had a, a tech team working on some of the initial concepts, but we also have um, one of our initial investors and board members um, uh, owns a uh, 
a higher end restaurant group here in the uh, in the Midwest in Indianapolis and, and Cincinnati. And um, he was giving us some advice and, um, you know, was lending us the use of, of some of his staff to help us as, as we got started. And um, we I think we, we kind of landed on a lot of those concepts, um, you know, started one way down the tech way. And then as we learned more about the restaurant world, um, then, uh, it all started to line up. So, you know, you're exactly right with the expediter needing to have a lot of that specialized knowledge to know how to manage the orders. And our system, um, really eliminates the need for an expediter to be manually calling out, um, um, orders and, and, and how it's run. So, and what's, what's really interesting is by us offloading that to software is we can do that at extremely high volumes. Um, you know, and, we in our our highest volume kitchen um we can be cooking 35 orders at the same time an order is is a delivery it's not just one one person's order so um you know 35 orders could have up to 100 some items in the kitchen at once and all that's being done kind of in a um um, being orchestrated by the software to make sure that all the all the cook times come out correct and everything's done at the same time um and what's fascinating is that it's because everything is done with software and is shown on the screens in front of the cooks is our, our kitchen is actually very quiet. Um, there's not, uh, there's not a lot of yelling. There's not a lot of talking to do all the, the manual expediting. It's, uh, it's, it's our, our cooks and our kitchen staff are, are following the streams in front of them, um, cooking, cooking the items as they come up and, um, and then, and then shipping them out. So, um, it's a very quiet, quiet environment, you know, cooks wearing headphones. And I, I think it's, a if, if you, if you like to cook, it's a much better environment to, uh, to be working in. That's fascinating. The quiet kitchen um, and wearing headphones, perhaps while you cook. I know some chefs who would not allow that, who wouldn't even allow music in the kitchen. Um, but it depends on style. Some chefs like lots of lots of music and a little bit of chaos and people thrive on adrenaline. So um, it is performative a little bit in some respects, what type of environment you build. Um, but it's really fascinating to see that the the combination of using information and data to drive software up against the, you know, best examples of restaurant organization from the kitchen and, and service side. It's, it's interesting that they meet um, in, a, in a dark kitchen like this with screens and, and tablets and, and real-time data. We're going to take a quick break to find out who the underwriter of this episode is. Did you know that Heritage Radio Network is a 501c3 nonprofit. We're kind of like public radio. We keep the lights on and the mics hot out of the generosity of many of our members who are listeners like you, grants, and sponsors like this one. Stay with us. This episode is brought to you by Tabard Inn. Tabard Inn, Washington, D.C.'s quintessential hotel, is located on a quiet tree-lined street just five blocks from the White House. Vibrant yet unassuming, the tabard is comprised of 35 sleeping rooms, each unique in character and design. Feast on an eclectic American cuisine in their acclaimed restaurant, or enjoy a cocktail served on the beautiful patio, which has ample room for social distancing. Travelers from around the world find the tabard the only place to stay when taking their travels to Washington. For more information, visit tabardin.com. We are talking about delivery and perhaps the first, perhaps the only vertically integrated dark kitchen in America. It sounds super tacky and it is, but ultimately it's just about 
you know, getting you dinner and a burger and a burrito into your hands, hot, ready, delicious in a short amount of time for a reasonable price. We are talking with Brian Howenstein, who is the chief operating officer of Cluster Truck. It is a restaurant group based in the Midwest. They have outlets, delivery zones in Indiana, Ohio, and Missouri. If you're listening with us and you're curious to check out what they're about and what they do, and if they deliver in your neighborhood, go to clustertruck.com. You can also follow them on social media at clustertruck. Uh, it's really a fascinating, fascinating idea. We've heard a lot about ghost kitchens. We don't know so much about dark kitchens. We know delivery is essential, but also a little contentious and maybe not so good for businesses and people. And this is a very interesting solution that is, in fact, the marriage of tech and restaurant know-how. Uh, Brian, thank you for joining us. I also hear that um, you have new burger on the menu, which is the Alpine Pit Burger, and also Kung Pao Chicken, which is the latest menu thing, which those are two seemingly um, disparate types of food, burger and Chinese, but they all happen in your kitchen. They all happen on the same line. Conceptually, your dark kitchen has multiple types of food and is almost could be understood as multiple types of restaurants under one roof. How do you describe dark kitchen versus ghost kitchen? And do you do you conceive of Cluster Truck as being like a food court or like multiple restaurants? Or is it just like you're a diner where you have one menu and it's got everything from pasta to burger to breakfast to Spanakopita? Yeah, so... You know, the, the name Cluster Truck, um, its origin is a cluster truck is a group of food trucks. So the idea is that, um, you know, if a food truck goes out by itself, it may make a dollar. But if a group of food trucks go out together, they all make more money. They all may make a dollar twenty um, because there's more there's different varieties. There more people will will go to visit where they are and the, the rising tide raises raises all ships. Um, so that was kind of our idea is that we needed to have a really broad menu. If we're going to have a very small delivery area um, and a limited number of people that we can deliver to, then we needed to have them order from us more often. And, you know, there's certainly, you know, menu fatigue. You're not going to order, you know, if, you're, if it's your favorite restaurant, you're not going to order all the time. You're going to want to try lots of different types of food. So we needed to have lots of different types of things on our menu um, in order to feed our customers more often. So we everything from pizza to pad thai to salads to burgers to wraps to, um, uh, like you said, you know, like Kung Pao chicken. Um, we have we have all those things. And, you know, different what's different for us rather than a um, more traditional you know, ghost kitchen they hear of like a, a, a Kitchens United or a Cloud Kitchens that will have several different kitchens under one roof is we're doing all that off of a single make line. Um, and the, the real credit to, to figuring out how to do this um, comes from our executive chef, uh, Tim McIntosh, who was, who was a long time with the Cheesecake Factory. And that's where we really learned how to do a very broad menu um, off of a single line, shared ingredients, cross-utilization. And, you know, we have, you know, have 80 menu items coming off of a single make line in a, in a, in a very small kitchen. And, uh, and that's how we're able to do that. So that was, that was a key realization for us. You know, our, our CEO, you know, noticed that, um, you know, he had a lot of teenage kids, um, you know, around the time that, that we were being founded and, you know, 
pizza was coming to his house almost every single night. And, you know, he and his wife were getting tired of, of eating pizza all the time. And, you know, like, what if, you know, the kids could get pizza and, and my wife and I could get something different on the same order. Could we get, could we get pad thai? Could we get a salad? Could we get a burger? And, um, that was, that was another realization for us is that, um, you know, feeding groups is, is something we do very well. Um, and being able to have one delivery where every, everyone can get what they want means that, um, Customers can order from Cluster Truck more often and still get that variety of food. So to go back to uh, to kind of the the ghost dark kitchen idea, we've considered called ourselves uh, a virtual food hall a lot of times. Um, a you know kind of a, a cheesecake factory style that delivers, um, and uh, it, you know var- various terms like that. Definitely having something for everybody is something that restaurants think about. And then the ghost kitchen idea where, you know, you see something on a delivery app that is not a restaurant, but something that's being produced in a kitchen somewhere, which perhaps may be the wave of the future in some respects. Um, I haven't seen recent numbers in terms of the breakdown of where people are, where consumers are in this country right now in terms of um, meals they go out to eat and meals they order in to eat. But my guess is that ordering in is is outweighing meals in restaurants and in other venues, probably by quite a bit. Do you, with Cluster Truck, so now we have the we have the single kitchen, we have the expediting, we have the ordering, we have everything based around less than 10 minutes between food being ready and it being delivered and how you have orchestrated all of that in terms of creating smaller delivery ranges, the single line, all of those details, the precision timing. What happens when it's ready and the delivery person comes to pick it up? Because as I said on the top of the show, the last mile is really almost the most challenging. And often when it involves, when something involves people, that's when it becomes challenging because we can't solve for it using custom built software. Yeah. So delivery, delivery is very challenging and that's why we've we kind of believe that no one is doing it right yet. We, we believe that we have the only profitable model. Um, and it comes down to, and so when we started this, we wanted to make sure that the delivery driver was a core constituent in the process. We wanted to build our entire process around them. So we, so in addition to not cooking the food until we know where the courier is, we will also not bring on more couriers at a time than we have demand for. So we don't want to dilute their earnings because um, we want to make sure that our delivery couriers are making enough money for this to be a good gig job for them. We wanted to take what's commonly the worst gig job in America and make it the best. Um, so, you know, in a traditional gig gig job, you know, Uber Eats, DoorDash, Grubhub, you're uh, courier is going to, um, you know, get a notification that's an order. They're going to have to drive to the restaurant. They're going to have to go inside that restaurant they're going to have to wait. Oftentimes the, the restaurant staff, um, you know, wait staff are not necessarily happy to see them because it's not like they're getting tipped on these orders. It's not in their best interest to, um, to work with them. Um, so they're kind of going into a hostile environment. They have to wait for that order to be ready, go back out to their car, drive to the customer, um, park, find parking, um, you know, if you're in a city that can obviously be very challenging, take it up to the, take it up to the, uh, to the customer and then, um, head back down to your car and do it all over again, heading to a different restaurant and the, the cycle starts over. Um, 
you know, with a traditional third party delivery, their couriers may only be getting one to two jobs an hour. So if those, uh, so it, it's, it's really kind of, it's really a grind. So we turned a, we turned a few things over to, to make this better. So first of all, since we're coming, always coming back to us, we're always coming back to a central kitchen. It's not like we're, we're moving all around the city. We made our model curbside. So, um, our customers meet our drivers at the curb. Um, they, once the order is shipped out of our kitchen, um, customers get a notification on their app. They track the the driver coming coming to them, and uh, as the driver rolls up, the the customer walks down, meets the courier, um, and and takes the order. So, and then our courier is right back to our kitchen. So the couriers never have to get out of the car. Which is an interesting point to note, particularly for those of us who are in New York City and really dense urban cities, most of our delivery force is on bicycles and on electric bicycles. We do have some car delivery, but you know, with traffic and mobility and things like that, we, we don't see that quite as much in New York City and other cities as we do um, in cities that have more of car culture and certainly in the suburbs and things like that. So very specifically, you have your delivery people who are in cars who come to cluster truck, they pick up the food, the food is brought out and put into their car, and then they drive to the customer and the customer comes out and gets the food and then takes it in. So the critical, an interesting piece of the driver not having to exit their car, what type of opportunity does that open up? Because it's not something that I had really considered until you and I spoke last week and I found it really um, interesting. Yeah. So there's a, yeah, a couple points there. Um, so with not having, having to get out of the car. So the, we also, you know, with, with traditional gig delivery jobs, only getting a, you know, one to two jobs an hour with the efficiencies that we've made, we try and optimize to get our couriers as many jobs per hour for possible. So going from one to two to we're trying to get them four to six so they can make more money to make this a better, more lucrative, more lucrative job. We found that the folks who, who apply to drive for us and who do drive us are, are different than, than, uh, typical delivery couriers. So we have, we have a lot of retired drivers. We have a lot of retired folks. We have, um, we have moms who have young children and are able to deliver with their with their child in the back seat if they want to spend you know two hours over lunch doing some deliveries to make uh, just as a part time job. Um, this is a very flexible gig to do that. We don't do scheduling at all. This is purely an on demand job. So um, you can say I'm I'm available. I'd like to start working. They can work for a couple hours and they can be done. So it's really opened up a new class of of food delivery drivers who, who may not have been able to do it traditionally before from, um, disabled veterans, like I said, to, to working moms who can now earn, earn, you know, um, you know, work for a couple hours and earn money without having to file, find childcare. Um, it's, it's really made for, for, um, you know, something that we didn't necessarily plan for, but it was an interesting and, and really great thing that came, that came out of that model. So it really has opened up the opportunity for, a lot of different groups of people. And certainly some of the uh, demographic that you just mentioned would potentially be people who would do a gig driver job like a Uber or a Lyft. But obviously with people coming and going in the back of your car, and in many instances, strangers, there's potentially security hazards. And certainly you would not be a Lyft driver with your child in the back seat. so really interesting. So in terms of um, the growth of delivery people and, and how that's worked, how has how have you seen that 
position and that pool of people evolve from 2015 to today? So it's been, it's been really interesting in that, you know, like I said, we, we really committed to being the best, best food delivery job or the best gig job essentially, um, in, in America. And, you know, we think we delivered on that and it was for, for a few reasons, you know, first of all, it's, you know, there's, um, you know, one, wanting to improve this, uh, this category of, of work, but also, um, from a business standpoint, um, you know, one of the weaknesses of the third party delivery is that the sheer amount of money that they have to spend recruiting new couriers all the time and the massive turnover they have, because it's just not a great job, um, is really makes, is one of the contributors to making the entire business pretty unviable. Um, and so for us, we've had, we've had couriers with extremely long tenures with, with cluster trucks. So, um, a very large percentage of our couriers have been with us since day one. So in our original kitchens, um, that means, um, so a company was founded in 2015, our first kitchen opened in spring of 2016. Um, and we have couriers that have been with us since day one. So in a food delivery gig job, uh, you know, we have had couriers who have been with us for five years, which is a pretty, pretty, um, pretty crazy tenure, um, for the, for the gig workspace. So, um, we think with, with all the, the adjustments to the model and, uh, and the way we've approached this, um, it's really turned out to be a, a better situation. And the way the company is, the way cluster truck is, is set up to be vertically integrated, meaning you're controlling the entire process, the entire customer journey, the entire production, profit and loss chain, the company is able to set universal pricing with an eye to all these different elements. So in the third party delivery system, you have restaurants that are setting and food kitchens that are setting their prices based on being independent entities standing alone. And they make their P&L decisions and their price points based on if somebody walked into the restaurant or if somebody came and wanted something to go. The third-party apps are, in, in fact, that third-party app. And then they're going to take a percentage off of that. They're going to add something to that as a delivery fee. So for the consumer, you know, it's not a $10 hamburger in the restaurant. It becomes then a $15 or a $20 hamburger when it becomes delivery. The restaurant doesn't have the ability, though, to change that price because the price point is already published. It's already established. But then adding these additional delivery service fees from the apps and percentages and things like that, it starts to eat away at their profit margin. Cluster Truck doesn't have that issue. Yeah, and that's that goes back to our our vertical integration. Is one of our one of our beliefs at the at the beginning is that in the food business, you know, it's not it's not a huge margin business. That there's not enough room in the margin of an order for lots of different people to be taking a cut, and especially if a you know if a restaurant is already making only you know making ten or twenty percent margins, if they're already if they're paying a 20 percent commission to a third party delivery, fee, they're they're already unprofitable on every single delivery order. So, um, you know, that goes back to our, our thoughts of this, just, this isn't going to work. So by owning everything and, and controlling the whole process and optimizing it, we're able to be profitable in each of our kitchens. We're able to make our couriers more money. We're able to provide a better experience to our customers and, uh, uh, and basically eliminate all those 
pain points that we saw in the third party delivery system. And, you know, I haven't mentioned it yet, but we're also, we have no delivery fees. And I think that's, that's crucial is we can be profitable delivering all this, make margins on our kitchen, make more money for our couriers, a better experience for our customers with no delivery fees at all. So, um, really from, from top to bottom, it's a, uh, it's, it's a better experience. We can be the lower cost provider. We have, you know, no fees. Um, we have, you know, food, uh, menu prices that are right in line with, you know, every other fast casual restaurant. Um, we're the best quality provider. We, you know, food is in your hands very quickly. It's high quality food or scratch kitchens. Um, and it's, it's hot and it's fresh. And then, um, we're also, we're also profitable. So we think that the doing this model being vertically integrated and we had to build a lot of software to orchestrate the whole process. Um, and as you said, it was, it was a lot of work to make it sound sound this easy, um, to, to make this possible. And we think we're, you know, we think we, we have the best model and we're the, we're the only ones doing it, doing it that way. Restaurants and food shops are typically open because someone in the business loves food, loves something, makes something great. Heritage Radio Network in real life is at Roberta's Pizza in Bushwick, Brooklyn. That's where our studio is. They make amazing pizza, wood-fired oven. It's open because they love making pizza and sharing that with people. Most restaurants and food companies are driven by a passion for the food they make and serving people and that hospitality exchange. Third-party delivery app companies are driven by tech and service and um, you know, building a better wheel. You know, so many of the tech companies that we see, and certainly many, many of the founders that we've had on this show say, oh, I went into a restaurant, I sat down, I had this experience. Why can't this experience be more like Uber or be more like, you know, Apple Pay or PayPal? And I'm going to create a, a new system, a new company um, to alleviate some pain points, make it better for the consumer. Typically, a lot of these tech companies built for restaurants are not built by restaurant people. Restaurant people don't have the time. They're interested in something else. So most of the restaurant tech companies, delivery included, is a business solution for maybe a consumer service. And they're looked at as building better business. Cluster Truck is really a hybrid of those two things. We have the original burger farm stand, which is certainly a love of product and food and making something and sharing it with people. But we also have this very sort of analytical startup founder, like data side of like, well, let's build software and let's track the data and let's do all these things. As a company, in terms of your philosophy, in terms of the, like the principal thrust of why you're in business, is it restaurant, hospitality, food and feeding people? Is it building a better tech company where food and feeding people is simply the service offered? Which which point of view is is driving the business? Well, I think, and and maybe it's a bit of a cop out, but I have to I have to answer a little bit of both. The we are our well our core DNA is software. We've brought on a lot of folks from the restaurant industry that have infused a lot of those values of of service and hospitality into our into our company. So I think what's really unique about us. Um, is that if you go and you look at our, 
uh, reviews on Google. If you if you Google us, you know any of our locations, Cluster Truck Indianapolis, Cluster Truck Kansas City, um, the reviews pop up. We're we're four point eight, four point nine, five stars in every single market with with hundreds of reviews. And a lot of times the reviews mention a couple things. It's either the driver, how friendly the driver was, um, you know, how helpful the driver was, which is fascinating given that, um, you know, it's given that it's curbside, curbside delivery. It's, it's, it's really only a few second interaction with the, with the courier, you know, they, they pull up, they meet at the, the curb for, for a few seconds, they hand off the, the food and, and they're on the way. But because this is a better job, I think we, we end up having, having drivers and couriers that are, um, that are very happy with their, with, with what they're doing and their, their, uh, and they're happy for the job and, and helping out the customer. And the other angle is our, is our customer service team or our, our customer experience teams. We call them our CX team. Um, they, because we own the whole process, we're able to do customer service at a different level than third-party delivery. If something goes wrong with my, with my DoorDash order, if I'm missing an item, um, you know, it's first of all, it's very difficult to find in the app how to report a problem. And once I do report a problem, the best resolution I'll usually get is I'll get a credit or refund back. Uh, but what we do is we fix the problem. If, uh, if we send out an item that's wrong, or if we miss an item on your order, um, all you have to do is text back to the number you got your, you know, your notification from, um, we answer within, um, minutes and, uh, we're able to refire that order back into our kitchens. It'll skip the line in front of, you know, any, uh, any weight that may be going and we'll have that replacement item back out to you in you know uh, 10 or 12 minutes so we're able to actually fix the problem and so we wanted to make sure that um, you know customer service and even though we have no front of house you're never going to visit our restaurant you're never going to um, you know you may never meet a cluster truck employee the only person you're going to meet is one of our our, our couriers um, we want to make sure that um, you still have that that feeling of um, uh, 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 you know, hospitality feeling, a customer service that that you, you're very happy with 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 what you got, and you know, to realize that these are still local kitchens in a uh, in a local market in your neighborhood with with employees who who work right there. So um, we try not to be the the big faceless uh, you know software software company in the cloud, but um, while software is managing the whole process, there's still there's still a lot of real people um, on the on the ground level making all this happen. I think real people makes a difference. You can certainly get a lot done with algorithms and, you know, reviews and tracking people's efficiency and effectiveness on a, on an algorithm and ranking delivery people and things like that. But at the end of the day, when people are involved, giving people that consideration both on the consumer side and and the business side is important. Um, they certainly are faceless and nameless. Sometimes it's hard to find a person or get a person or talk to a person. Um, and then you just, you know, it, it feels very uh, disconnected. Um, and then also, you know, sort of like, what do you do? How do you get to a better place? It's uh, it's it's funny. We uh, we we send out an email at the end of um, a lot of our orders that, um, you know, we get direct feedback back to our chefs a lot. And it has our, our chef's picture and our chef name and the feedback goes directly to them. But um, Chef Tim in our in our local Indianapolis market back when we were founding has become kind of a minor celebrity in Indianapolis with all that <laughs> attention. Chefs, even are, to, chefs are rock stars. So <laughs> not right. surprising. Even, even to the point where he was on a he was on a plane coming back to Indianapolis. And there's uh, we're in Indianapolis Motorsports Capital of the World. There's a lot of, uh, of mm -hmm. racing yes, drivers there here. Yes. Yes, there a, is. <laughs> uh, an, an IndyCar driver who is a customer of ours was on the same flight and actually came up to him and was like, oh, man, you're Chef Tim, aren't you? And uh, was wow. kind of recognized. So that was a, a funny anecdote that just kind of ties in that we're, we're um, 
you know, we, we have real chefs in the, uh, in our markets and, and we try to have that real connection with our customers. Actually, I mean, it's sounding like a visit to cluster truck is like not a bad idea when it's during racing season. I mean, who wouldn't want to have like a great, you know, burger and go to the 500 and, uh, meet chef Tim really quickly because we're almost out of time. And, um, I know this is a very dense episode with a lot of information, but it's really fascinating. The vertical integration, um, that's a very techie industry, you know, cool word. Um, but it also kind of signals smart and economically efficient and hopefully efficient along the process as well. We don't hear vertically integrated very much when it comes to anything related to restaurants. Very quickly, um, Cluster Truck was started in 2015, First Kitchen in 2016. Certainly nobody could foresee the pandemic, and certainly Cluster Truck is a response to the delivery environment from years ago. Had the, has the pandemic since, you know, let's say March 2020 to now, has it changed your business in any way? Did it just show you proof points of this is the right thing to do? Did you have to make adjustments? Did you grow exponentially and just get to a place on your roadmap that was further down the road than you thought you would be now or no impact at all, business as usual? The pandemic was really fascinating for us um, in a, I think in a couple of ways. Um, so it, it, it came along and I think, you know, in, in March and April of 2020, there was a lot of, uh, uh, you know, a lot of people were very worried. There was a lot of unknowns as to what yeah, was coming. A lot of distress, a lot of uncertainty, a lot yeah. of. Um, and so um, cluster truck, because of how broad our menu is and, um, you know, our group ordering being a very being a core feature and something that we do very well, um, we did a lot of office business. We did a lot of, you know, a lot of office lunches, just, you know, people ordering food into the office, you know, you talked about seamless back into the beginning. We, we have a, a business product called cluster truck for teams that, um, that we did quite a bit of, of, of business that way. Um, and we were very disruptive to catering. So, um, we, it was interesting in that, you know, you can look at our, our charts and, you know, it towards the end of March, 2020, um, you know, office sales went to just absolute zero, but those all transitioned to folks who are now ordering from home. So, um, we saw, uh, uh, you know, those, those same folks where they may used to be ordering, you know, with a group of friends to, to the office or, you know, group of coworkers. Um, now they're ordering to home and it's, it's more, uh, it's a family order. So it's, um, instead of four coworkers now it's, you know, four folks at home, um, who are, who are ordering food to home. So we were still doing, um, you know, after, after the brief, brief, you know, un, uncertain dip in, you know, March and April where nobody was quite sure what was safe. Nobody was quite sure what was going on. Um, our, our sales just, you know, kind of came roaring back and we set year over year sales records all, all throughout the pandemic and, and continued to grow. So, and what I really think came out of the pandemic is, um, and, and I'm not sure if it was this way in New York, or maybe this is just kind of what happened in, uh, you know, in, in the Midwest is, you know, prepared food delivery from your local restaurant, I think used to be more of a, it was an occasional thing or a special, you know, a special occasion type thing. It wasn't, you know, an every night type of thing. And what I think it really did is it really solidified it as being a more normal routine part of life, um, than what it was before. So, um, you know, cluster truck has continued to grow. We've opened, um, we opened a 
couple more locations throughout through the pandemic. We had a, a national partnership with Kroger. We opened a couple stores inside Kroger stores, taking advantage of some of their kitchen space. Uh, and we've we've continued to open locations and our sales have, have continued to grow. So it's been a really, you know, kind of fascinating to sh- shift to see how, um, you know, how, you know, where people are has has changed in during the pandemic. But um, um, through it, Cluster Truck is, has still done, you know, fortunately has still done very well. How has your has your employee demographic changed at all? Um, I'd say you know it's everyone talks about labor challenges that are that are going right now, and we are certainly we are not immune. However, um, we think that we are a little bit better positioned. Um, you know, say our we believe our kitchens are very desirable places to work at, given um, you know our. Our software makes it a very um, streamlined workflow. Um, you know, it's it's really easy to get into a zone, you know, and just and, and keep cooking. There's no front of house, um, so you know we manage all the customer service from our corporate um, location. So um, you know, customer service is handled by us. It's not, it's not something you have to worry about with a dining room right there. So even if we are having to um, you know replace items or, or, or refire orders, those come through just like a normal order in the kitchen. Um, so we think we have a, a much more desirable. Um, uh, uh, kitchen, kitchen to work in. So, um, well, we certainly have, have staffing check challenges. I think we're, we think we're in a, a better position than, than, um, maybe some traditional spots. Has the type of employee you have now changed since March, 2020? Is it the same? I think it's, it's, it's mostly the same. Um, I, I, I don't, I don't think there's been a much, much of a shift. Uh, I mean, we definitely seen that, um, you know, especially in Indianapolis is, you know, where our, where our headquarters is and we have most of our kitchens is a, uh, is kind of a transportation hub. So we have a lot of, uh, a lot of logistics and distribution centers. So as the pandemic happened and, um, we had, you know, e-commerce, you know, especially booming, that's been an interesting transition as, you know, folks who may traditionally work in warehousing or may work in restaurants, uh, may have shipped to, shifted to working in logistics and, and warehousing, um, you know, higher wages, better working condition, you know, potentially better working conditions, those kind of things. So we've, we've tried to compete with that and, and keep up. So, um, I think, uh, it, it hasn't shifted dramatically. It may have changed just a little bit. And, you know, some of those folks who may have traditionally worked in restaurants may have shifted out to, to some other industries. Well, it's an interesting story. And the fact that you started six years ago, definitely gave you a running start for the really rapidly shifting terrain an ecosystem in the restaurant and food world. It'll be interesting to see how you evolve um, and definitely keep us posted in news and what's happening and maybe come back and talk to us again. Um, we love to follow stories on Tech Bytes and often talk to people over the years, um, which I can say now. This is episode 246. Very exciting. <laughs> If you're listening and you are interested in delivery, this is episode 246. We've been talking about delivery since 2015, and recently we just did a three-part series on delivery. Those are episodes 242, 243, and 244, and we take a look at it from three different points of view. The first episode is about funding and economics and how the third-party apps really work, The second episode is talking with delivery drivers themselves and looking at an organization that was founded in New York City called Los Delivriados Unidos, which is a collective of delivery workers who are trying to make their jobs better, safer, 
The last episode is about the future, and it is an interesting look at one restaurant group's attempt to create an online ordering platform for themselves to bring it back into their community, to bring the money back into their businesses. But they have that last, they have the challenge of that last mile, which Cluster Truck has seemingly resolved. Um, I want to thank Brian Howenstein for coming on the show today. He is the chief operating officer of Cluster Truck. If you want to check them out, order from them. Just take a look at how they work. They are clustertruck.com. They are live and ready for delivery in Indiana, Ohio, and Missouri. You can also follow them on social media at clustertruck, all one word. I want to thank Heritage Radio Network for the amazing platform, my engineer, Matt Patterson, DJ Uptown Nico, who is the creator of the Tech Bytes theme song. Our sponsors, members like you. If you love the show, come back and see us next week. If you can't live without the show, go to heritageradionetwork.org, click the beating heart and make a donation or become a monthly member. That'll help us make more radio keep you informed, and keep sharing stories. There's a lot of amazing things that are happening right now in the restaurant world, and we want to know about all of them. I'm Jennifer Liuzzi, and this is Tech Bytes. Tech Bytes is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to learn more about our 10-year anniversary celebration happening all year long, subscribe to our newsletter. Just enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com slash heritage radio network. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.